today. Let's continue the series, Just Wondering. And it goes like this. I'm just wondering, is the Bible reliable? That was last week's question. Today, I'm just wondering, should I fear God? Or what does that fear stuff mean? Next week, I'm just wondering, who's the Holy Spirit and what does he do? The week after that, I'm just wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah or is he just a good guy? And on and on. For 14 weeks total, we have questions and answers that help you answer questions for yourself, for other people, so you can get to the major question, and that is, what should I do with Jesus? And often, these other questions will cloud the issues of getting people to Jesus Christ. So anyway, today... Should I fear God? How many of you watch, have ever watched X Games? Thank you. At least I have, and the college students have some. Last service, I had three people spotted throughout, and I was like, okay, do, does anybody know what X Games are even? X Games, where people do death-defying, idiotic things that you would never attempt. You know, do not attempt this at home or anywhere else. They do crazy stuff. I just watched it. It's kind of like watching NASCAR. I, I know, I watched NASCAR once. You know, <laughs> Four hours of left turns. Sorry if you're a NASCAR fan. <clears throat> but I watch it thinking once in a while there's going to be a really crazy crash and a fire. But I watch X Games just to see what kind of crazy injuries are going to happen because you know some are going to happen. Anyway, several years ago in the X Games, uh, around that culture, there came out a new gear. Uh, clothing, you know, glasses, everything else, helmets and all that. Uh, and mostly I think they sold about four bazillion of those stickers to go on back windows of people's car that just say, no fear. How many of you got those no fear stickers? It's kind of passe now, but yeah, it's still kind of cool in some circles. No fear, the no fear gear and all of that. Well, I'm from Missouri. I'm a hillbilly from Missouri. You can hear it in my nasal hillbilly twang, but they came, they had to, you know, not to be outdone. Some, somewhere in the Midwest or somewhere in the South, they came out with some gear to rival the no fear. And if you grow up where I grew up, you can't just say, I have no fear. That's not the way we talk or talked. I'm trying to get over it. Um, but we did say, hey, I ain't scared of nothing. <laughs> See, I can lapse back into that. <clears throat> uh, you need to sound like you have, you know, about a half can of skull right here. And it's, I, I ain't scared of nothing. So some brilliant person came out with gear. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't baggy, you know, halfway down your you-know-what, but it, and it wasn't crazy colors. It was just camouflage mostly, and it wasn't no fear gear. It was called Ain't Scared. It sold. The people made money. Um, I saw, you know, big pickup trucks with Ain't Scared in the back, and, you know, then the little SUVs going down, the little Subarus going down with no fear. So anyway, I wanted to go out and buy this stuff, and my wife wouldn't let me. Smart woman. Uh, she wouldn't let me buy it, but there are some things we should be scared of. Some things we shouldn't. There's some things we should fear, some things we shouldn't. And here's the biggie. We should know the difference. And that's what today's about, knowing the difference. The Bible says this, in Proverbs 9.10, and I'm going to unload quite a few scriptures. If you were here last week, not quite as many as last week when we were talking about the Bible being reliable. But I'll unload quite a few passages of Scripture. You just jot them down in your margins, and you go home, look them up, check me out, and see if I'm telling you the truth. 
Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Now, someone told me that God is love over on this hand. And now the Scripture is telling me, fear the Lord. Now, those seem to be kind of opposite to me in my finite thinking. Fear the Lord, God is love. Well, hopefully by the end of today, we'll understand that those two are not incompatible. They are not in disagreement with each other. Let me define fear for you. Straight out of dictionary.com, no rocket science here. But the first definition of fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. Did you get that? Our reaction is the same whether the threat is real or it's imagined. A second definition, they made a kind of half-hearted attempt at, at defining fear of God. The second definition was reverential awe, especially toward God. I cracked up when I read that. I don't have reverential awe toward any human being. Do you? I hope not. No, none of us deserve other people's reverence. We just don't. So this reverential awe should be toward God, period. Now, I want to build a stronger definition before we launch into different kinds of fear and what they'll do to us. Uh, The definition goes like, in fact, I didn't include enough space. We filled up your notes with so much stuff this week for you to take and study and do in your life groups that there's hardly any room. So you just write around the margins, along top, uh, beside the, the headings and stuff like that, or in some of those questions. But get this down. I want to build a stronger definition of the fear of God. And we'll, we'll dig into what the results of that fear will bring in our lives, okay? But six aspects, so you need to write tiny. Six aspects of the definition as I find it in Scripture. Uh, first one is this. Uh, there, there are three attitudes, three actions as I find them in Scripture, okay? These aren't the only ones. These are the ones I found most prominent. First, recognition of His holiness. Just jot it somewhere in a, in a corner and write small. Recognition of His holiness. All through Scripture, we, God says, I am holy. If you're reading through in life journaling, which is the way our church re- gets through the Scripture in a year together, uh, you've been reading through Jeremiah and Second Kings, First Kings, uh, Chronicles. We've been reading through the history of Israel over and over and over. God says to them, I am the Lord your God. I am holy. And so first, let's begin with a recognition of His holiness to be- begin to flesh out our definition. Second, a respect for His wrath against sin. You go, whoa, that sounds kind of harsh and heavy, but let me explain why God hates sin. First of all, He loves us. See, God doesn't hate us. He hates sin. Here's why. He knows what sin does to you and to me. It destroys us. He also knows what sin does to the glory of His name. When we choose to sin, it does not bring Him glory, and He deserves all glory. So He has a hatred or wrath against sin that is well-founded. Third, we need a reverence for His power and His glory, a reverence. So we have the recognition, the respect, the reverence. First three, I'll start with the same letter. should be easy for you to pick up. Reverence for His power and glory. Psalm 96, verse 7 says it this way, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, 
ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. When we have a reverence for his power and glory, where it leads us is a realization that he is God and we're not. He's God, we're not. Now, let's look at some actions that help complete our our definition of fear of God. The fourth thing, obedience to his commands. Jeremiah 42 says this, verse 5. Then they said to Jeremiah, this is Israel. We're going to pick on Israel quite a bit today. They said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. God spoke to Jeremiah and then he sent them, him to the children of Israel to say his message to them. So they said, hey, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us with the word you sent to us. Whether it is good or bad, We know it's from God. So whether it's good or bad, whether we think it's good, whether we think it's bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord, our God, to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us. They got it. That it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord, our God. Obedience to his commands is in a good definition of the fear of God. The fifth thing, submission to his discipline. You say, how is that different than obedience? Obedience is this. God says, Dwayne, walk on this path. I walk on this path. That's obedience. But sometimes he says, Dwayne, walk on this path, do it this way. And I say, this one looks pretty good to me over here. Then I need to come back and submit to his discipline because I didn't obey him in the first place. Hebrews 12.11 says this. Write down Hebrews 12.11 if it's not in your notes. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. How many agree with that? Discipline usually seems painful, doesn't it? rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here's the picture. Here's how Dwayne lives it out usually. Here's how I do it. I say, I want the peaceful fruit of righteousness that's over here. And the scripture says, discipline will bring me that peaceful fruit of righteousness. I say, well, I'd like to have that, but I don't want to do this to get it. So I'm going to try to get this peaceful fruit of righteousness on this path all the time moving farther and farther away from the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That discipline that brings me back on the path is not so some God somewhere can thump me on the head periodically just to get his kicks. It is for my peaceful fruit of righteousness. The fruit that's that's born in my life is righteousness. So, the fifth part of that definition of what it means to fear God is submission to his discipline because it's for our good. Let me go ahead. The final thing. This isn't all that's included, but this is giving a fairly well-rounded picture of fear of God. Worshiping Him in awe. Psalm 96, 9 and 10 says this. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him. Who? Who's to tremble before Him? Oh, I don't have it up there. Only if it's highlighted in yellow. All the earth. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get you to respond to something that's not on the screen. Tremble before him, all the earth. Who? All the earth. You can say it now. I'll spoon feed you the answer here since I goofed up. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. All through the Psalms, all through Scripture, we see worship. In fact, the reason we're to tell people about Jesus is because worship is not happening in their lives. They don't worship the God of the universe. So, all of those things give us a picture of what it means to fear God. Now, fear 
always causes a response, a reaction. Whether it's good fear or whether it's bad fear, there are results, there are actions, and there are benefits of fears. Let's look at three fears today. And their results, their actions, or reactions, or their benefits. First, having no fear is the first one. No fear of God. And I submit it misdirects you. It sends you on the wrong path. Um, that's the person who says, I'm not afraid of God. He's off somewhere watching from a distance. I'm here. I don't seem to see many results. I don't care about God. He doesn't care about me. I'll do what I want. There will be no consequences. Jeremiah five twenty-one says this. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people. Oh, this is the Israelites again. Who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before me? And then he goes on to tell all the things he did. And then in verse 23 he says, But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They are on a wrong path because they have no fear. Verse 24, They do not say in their hearts, Let us fear the Lord our God. So, two results I'll give you of not fearing God. Not the only results, but these are the two most prominent and most painful ones. First, humanism. Humanism. That, if I could give you a definition of humanism, it's this. Self-centered living and worship. We live for ourselves. We worship ourselves. Uh, it's described pretty well in Psalm 36. It says this. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Did you get that? He flatters himself in his own eyes. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. No fear of God flatters himself. This person sees himself or herself as the one who can judge whether or not God acted wisely, whether or not God acted fairly, whether or not God considered all the angles and did what was right. This person has set themselves up as a judge of who God is and what he's done. Several weeks back, Pastor Charlie mentioned a national poll where they gave God an approval rating. Now, he did better than most politicians are doing today. He got 52% approval rating. But a few nights later, after Pastor Charlie had mentioned that, I happened to be watching Letterman, and Letterman came out and he said, I hear that they did an approval poll to see how God is doing. And then he just stood there like, how stupid is that? And even Letterman said, you know, who, who, who's evaluating God? But he got a 52% approval rating. I submit to you, one of the results of fear of no God is that kind of thinking, self-centered living and worship. Another one is this, rampant sin. Hey, we don't use the word rampant very often, so I spelled it out for you, and you fill in the blank with sin. Rampant sin is the result. Um, that means simply more and more and more and more sin. Romans chapter 1. You go read it. It's a, it's a lo fairly long chapter. But in Romans chapter 1, I'm not going to read all of it to you, but God says in that people wanted this, and so he gave them over to this sin. And the picture is like this. Here's this much sin. People aren't satisfied with that. And so they ask for more freedom to sin. And so God gives them over to more freedom to sin. It's actually bondage. 
But then they want more, so he gives them over to more sin, and it just keeps piling up and piling up is the picture. It doesn't even sound, sometimes as we're reading it, like God ever does anything to punish them. He just gives them more of the same. But let me assure you of this. They will not fare well in the end. Ecclesiastes 8.13 says this. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. In other words, down the road somewhere, it's not going to go well. It may not look bad now, but it's not going to go well. Sin is just open, more and more sin is one of the results of no fear of God. Second fear, having an irrational fear of God will misdirect you. You can have a wrong fear of God like Adam in in Genesis 3. Right in the beginning of the Bible, God came after Adam and Eve had sinned. God came into the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says this in Genesis 3.10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's what happened. He had an irrational fear of God because he had sinned, and Adam should have run to God, and he did the exact opposite of what he should have done. He ran away from God from God. He had a wrong fear of God. It sent him in the wrong direction. We can also have a wrong fear of people, circumstances, the world. Around us, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, awkward wording here kind of. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The wrong fear of God comes from a wrong understanding of the true character, the true nature of God. Because, see, God's holy. He's just. He's right. He's righteous. But He also is love. He's also our salvation. He's also our peace, our joy. So an irrational fear causes several things. Let me give you four. These are the top four as I look at it and think about it as I read Scripture, okay? Misunderstand. We misunderstand God's love. We misunderstand His love. First John 4.18 says this, There's no fear in love. This is bad fear, wrong fear. No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This kind of misunderstanding, this wrong fear, this irrational fear, will cause us to misunderstand and not even accept God's forgiveness. We avoid the very one who can help us, just like Adam did. Second thing that can happen is we can become weak. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, those of us who are born again, can become weak. Isaiah 41.10 speaks about our strength coming from God. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can become spiritually weak when we don't understand a right fear of God, when we have an irrational fear. This, you may think, So what's the big deal about this? I talk to people all the time who are extremely weak Christians. They cannot seem to resist sin. They cannot seem to resist temptation. They can't seem to overcome struggles relationally or struggles other ways. They are weak spiritually, and it comes out of an irrational fear, sometimes an irrational fear of God because they fear the next thing I'm going to say. They fear rejection by God. Matthew 10:29 tells us why we need never one of the places it tells us why we need never fear rejection. 
Jesus himself is speaking, and here's what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than these little sparrows. So he says, you are of much more value to me than any of those birds. And my father in heaven has, has complete track of every one of those little sparrows. Listen, we don't need to fear rejection by God. I, I hear this all the time. I've been here in Pueblo four years. I've been a pastor for 35 years. I have heard this all those years from people. People who say, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I've been born again. And they come, they'll sit in my office, or I'll talk to them in the foyer here, or in whatever church I've been in, or on the street, or in a restaurant, or wherever. And they say things like, well, I think I'm a Christian, but I've been such a bad one that God probably gave up on me a long time ago. They fear rejection by God. Let me give you two words. If you don't write these down, you etch them in your brain with indelible ink, okay? The first word is condemnation. You need these words. Condemnation always comes from Satan. Always. When you sin, you can have one of two responses. You can feel condemned or the other word, write it down, conviction. You can feel convicted. If you are feeling condemned, then you're believing a lie. You're believing God hates you and God wants to zap you instead of believing that God loves you and hates sin and he wants the very best for you. So if you're experiencing condemnation, feeling rejection by God, that is not from God. Mark it down. I I challenge you, prove that wrong from Scripture, but condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit of God. Same sin. I commit the very same sin if if I... believe the truth of Scripture, and I don't have an irrational fear of God, I'll experience conviction, and that draws me back into His correction, His discipline, and He sets me on the right path for my good and for His glory. Conviction instead of condemnation. The fourth thing that irrational fear will bring is we'll think we're alone. I hear all the time, I just feel like nobody cares including God. They're isolated. They're alone. Isaiah 41.10 again says, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't let that sudden fear come in. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Far too many people are feeling isolated from God and others. Here's what I would say to you. As believers, as those who are born again, we're never to be scared of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 promises this. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, go home immediately and do it. Do it right now if you have your Bible with you. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 promises us that nothing can separate us from God's love. Here it is. For I am sure, and then he gives us a list, that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, And then he goes, just in case I left anything out, nor anything else in all creation, that's pretty much everything, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have his promise that he won't forsake us. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says, for he has said, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. God has said that we are not alone. We should not have irrational fear of God. Third, let's look at a correct fear of God. A correct fear of God will direct you in right paths, spiritually speaking, and in many other ways. But I'm primarily addressing spiritual here. Correct fear of God, a biblical fear of God, a healthy fear of God. We defined it earlier. He deserves that respect, that recognition, that reverence, that obedience, that submission, that worship that I talked about earlier as a definition of the fear of God. If he never acknowledged us back, he still deserves that respect and reverence. But guess what? Here's the good part of the story. We don't have to just reverence and respect and worship him and he's out there somewhere and we never get to interact and we never gain from it. There are great benefits in us having a correct fear of God. Let me share a few with you. Seven to be exact. First, an accurate knowledge of God. You go, big deal. That sounds pretty cerebral to me. Well, most people have a wrong fear of God because they have wrong information about God. So right information, accurate information becomes a big deal if we're going to interact with and love this God and respond to Him. Psalm 111 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it, practice it, have good understanding. Proverbs 9.10 that I began with today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Accurate information, accurate knowledge will give us right facts so we can respond appropriately to God. Instead of living, believing lies, that heads us on a wrong path every time. Second result of a correct fear, salvation. Without a correct fear of God, we'll never come to a point of salvation. Acts 13, 26 says this, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation, of this salvation, the salvation in Jesus Christ. It leads us to understand Him enough that we can understand that He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. Third result, holiness. Now that sounds like something that a monk in a monastery might attain in a lifetime, but probably none of us in this room can attain. Nothing's further from the truth. Let me give you a new definition of holiness. The power to obey God. Holiness is the power to obey God. Moses, in Exodus 20, said this to the people. Do not fear, bad fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him, right fear, may be before you, that you may not sin. Moses got it right. The fear of God, appropriate fear of God, would help them to not sin. That leads them to holiness. Fourth thing, faith or confidence in God. Uh, Proverbs 14, 26 says it this way, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Job 4, 6, Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Let me tell you, many Christians I talk to live with little confidence that God truly loves them. Have you met someone like that? They struggle continually. I'm not sure God really loves me. Or they may not say it in so many words, but they live it out. They don't feel loved. They don't feel a closeness to God. You can be confident that He loves you, and that leads me to the next one, security. We can have security. Here's how that's different. We can have security of knowing that we're saved 
forever. Psalm 27, 1 says this, The Lord's my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And in Isaiah 12, it says, Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust, will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and has become my salvation. Listen, Jesus himself said, If you believe on me, you'll have everlasting life, eternal life. How long is eternal? Thank you. Forever. Now, if he named it that, and then he gives me eternal life, and when I sin, then he kicks me out of the family, and then I kind of get reconciled, and so I'm back in the family, and then I sin, and I'm back out of the family. Nothing eternal about that, is there? That's kind of on again, off again, on again, off again. You know, like the, the water in the faucet in the morning when you're getting ready. You brush your teeth, you do this, you do shave, you do whatever. It's on a while, it's off a while, it's on a while, it's off a while. That's not eternal. Either Jesus messed up royally or he got it right. I'm in the camp that he got it right when he called it eternal. And when we fear the Lord appropriately, we'll understand and we'll have a security in him. Sixth thing. Stay with me on this one. This one sounds kind of out in left field to begin with, but it's not. It really ignited me when I found this in Scripture. Exodus 18.21 says, tell, uh, that passage tells us that he'll give us, if we fear him appropriately, the ability to lead God's people into peace. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Let's stay with me and let's see. Moses' father-in-law is telling him that he needs to change some things because Moses is trying to do everything. And so he says, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. Primary qualification is that they fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Let's take a little time out here. Remember last week I talked about the spiritual authority, Scripture speaking on spiritual authority. Here's a prime example. He says, take people who fear God, put them in charge over thousands, hundreds, tens, fifties, and have them minister to the people so they can be blessed. We'll find out what will happen here. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any small matter they decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. They will bear the burden with you. If you do this, let's look what's going to happen. If he chooses people who fear God to have this oversight. If you do this, God will direct you and you'll be able to endure. He'll direct you and you won't burn out. Crash and burn. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. Don't know about you, but I rather enjoy going to my place in peace instead of in turmoil. How many of you have ever had someone, a friend, a Christian friend, a brother or sister in Christ, who you come and you talk to them, you come in, you are wrecked emotionally or spiritually, and they speak to you truth from God's Word. They fear God. They understand who God is. And you walk out with peace. Because they've ministered truth to you. Listen, on any given Saturday or Sunday, any one of us in this room today can be the ones who walk in here wrecked. And if somebody, a prayer partner or whoever, can minister truth to us because they fear God and we walk out in peace, I'm telling you, that is a great thing. I have the deep desire to see every person who comes in here walk out in peace, go to their place in peace. Here's why that's such a big deal. The vast majority of us are not experiencing that on a regular basis. We need it. We desperately need it. We need 
to understand Jesus Christ will give that to us when we have a correct fear and understanding of God. And I dare say any of us who have a spiritual spark at all would love to be that kind of peace for someone else when they're the ones who are wrecked on any given day. That's a big deal. Leads me to the last one, finally. We, if we have a correct fear of God, we'll bring great glory to God. In Revelation, there's a picture of, of heaven. Verse 6 says, Revelation 14 says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, here's what he's going to proclaim to the whole earth. Fear God and give him glory, because this, the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Fear God, give him glory, worship him. Here's what I would submit to you. We are created to bring glory to God. If you have subscribed to the theory that we were created because God was lonely and needed someone to have a relationship with, I'll challenge you to find that anywhere in Scripture. Now, we get to have a relationship with Him. That's a side benefit. But He created us so we could bring Him great glory by coming into a relationship with him. You see the difference? If, if we say God needed us to have a relationship with, to complete himself, then God's incomplete without us. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's absolutely complete without us. He chooses to allow us to come into relationship with him so he can complete us. So we bring him glory and we get the benefits. Now, so you don't think Here's God, and he gets all the glory, and I get nothing. Let me explain it to you this way. If I somehow convinced you you were all morons, and I convinced you to worship me, it would take that for you to be convinced to worship someone like me. But let's say I got you to bow down before me, and you give me great glory. You walk out of here, you're not the least bit fulfilled. You gain nothing from that. But we bow down before God, we give him great glory, we walk away fulfilled. John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, years ago I heard him say this, when God is most glorified, I am most satisfied. When God is most glorified, I am most satisfied. Say that with me. When God is most glorified, I am most satisfied. You see, if you worshiped me, I couldn't give you any satisfaction, but we bow down and worship God. He fulfills every need of our heart our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. He can do all of that when we bring Him glory. A correct fear will bring that. Every one of us have gauges on our dashboard. I think we have two fear meters, a bad fear and a good fear. When the bad fear pegs to, you know, off the charts, the good fear pegs the other way. I think to the degree we have wrong fear is to the very same degree we lack a correct fear of God. So let me ask you today. Always end with a question. You're looking at the dashboard of your life. What do your fear meters say? Where is your fear of God, the correct fear of God? And where's the meter for your bad fear, fear of people, fear of circumstances, fear of health, fear of lack of health, fear of loss of job, fear of God zapping you? All those bad fears, wrong fears, 
What does that meter say? Bow your heads with me, please. Are you scared of wrong things? Do you have a correct fear of God? We can know Him. We can obey Him. We can be in relationship with Him. And we can love Him and experience His love without that fear of Him zapping us for every little out-of-line step. Then we can be free to obey Him and love Him and trust Him. Our desire every week is that no one leave here without having the spiritual help, the prayer, the encouragement they need. We have people, we call them prayer partners, who are equipped, who are called to help you, to pray for you. You may be here, and your bad fear meter is pegged. You are just off the charts, and you can't even begin to trust God. We would love to pray with you and help you get those meters switched about. Maybe you're here and say, I'm scared to death that God is going to reject me because of sin in my life. We'd love to pray with you and help you understand truth about that. Maybe you're here and you're just saying, I'm facing a huge decision. I don't have fear out of place, but I have this huge decision and I need God's help and God's wisdom. Our prayer partners would love nothing better than to pray with you. I'm going to pray in a moment. And after that, I'm going to ask you to stand. And many of you who God has spoken to, you know who you are. I'm going to ask you to come. Prayer partners will be here.